I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. It's been over five years since California mother Sherry Papini vanished, then reappeared 22 days later. She was chained and branded, 15 pounds lighter with cut hair. She had a broken nose and severe bruising. What happened to Sherry? Was she the victim of a brutal kidnapping or was this all a hoax? When we first released this story in January of 2021, we went through different possibilities, but we really didn't know. Well, now we just might have some answers because on March 3rd, 2022, Sherry Papini was arrested and the U.S. Department of Justice charged Papini, who's now 39, with making false statements to a federal law enforcement officer and engaging in mail fraud. Hi, Megan. Amy, wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow is all I can say. Yeah. I don't think we've ever received so many emails and messages from listeners about you must do an update on this case. Like within, I think within five minutes of the story dropping, I was getting, and from friends, family, but also listeners, it was unbelievable. And I guess we could say that's why we're sitting here uh, Saturday morning, March 5th, recording this update episode. I think my mom called me before I even got any emails. My mom (laughs) called me immediately. I was like, okay, I'm on it. I'm on it. This is an incredible case. And what did I do, Megan? I sent you the article and then called you within 10 seconds. seconds. You asked me, did you read the text I just sent? I'm like, you you just sent it 10 seconds ago. So yeah, (laughs) but we've both done a lot of reading since. Oh, I have not stopped, Megan. I actually have the 55 page criminal complaint printed out here. I was reading it this morning at my kids' basketball game. I wanted to make sure I was as prepared as possible. All right. And this case is still developing. So again, as I mentioned, we're recording this on March 5th, 2022. And it's very likely, I'd say almost definite, that we will be recording yet another update as this case goes through the legal system. But we urge you, if you have not listened 
to the original Sherry Papini story, please go back to episode 37 to do so before you listen to this update. Although I would imagine by now most people have heard of this case. Oh, I think so. Now, this is a case that stoked racial division and fear in the community. A lot of people spent a lot of time trying to help find Sherry. And a lot of people had a lot of theories, as did we, Megan. But if you recall, at the end of our episode, we said that we both agreed that we would rather support a liar than disregard a victim. And here we are. <laughs> we both erred on the side of supporting the liar. Well, yes, but but I still have some reservations, which I'll discuss at the end. Oh, wonderful. But why don't you go ahead? Okay, so I'm going to do a very brief background and sure. then get into the events that led to Sherry's arrest. Okay. On November 2nd, 2016, Keith Papini returned home from work and he could not find his wife, Sherry. Her iPhone was pinging nearby, but no Sherry calls the police. And of course, what ensues is a massive search for this missing young mother. Just 22 days after she went missing, she reappeared. Now she had looked a little bit different. She was only 87 pounds. She had a broken nose. She was beaten with some fresh bruises, some older bruises. She was branded. Her long blonde hair had been chopped off. She had a chain around her waist. She also had deep gashes on her neck and her wrist. Now, Sherry told police that she was abducted and helped captive by two adult Hispanic women. Now, over the next few months, Sherry talked to the police often and told them tidbits, but she could not recall many details that was useful to the police. However, the police, you know, they executed hundreds of search warrants and they were looking everywhere, but they were baffled. As we talked about in the episode, these type of abductions are very rare and there were zero leads in this case. Megan, the case never really went cold, but it stayed out of the media for a while. Mm -hmm. The most recent article that was relevant to this case was in 2020 when the New York Post reported that police had received a tip from a man in Southern California who claimed that he was with Sherry for those 22 days. Now, that article came out in the summer of 2020, and then a few smaller news outlets picked it up. But then we didn't hear anything until March 3rd. 2022. If you recall, Megan, the police had found unknown male DNA on Sherry's clothes. Now, this DNA did not match Keith or anyone in the database. And of course, they ran it through CODIS to see if it matched any known offenders. And at the time, there were no matches or leads, but eventually there was a hit. How did they end up getting this hit finally? They got it through familial DNA. So familial DNA has been used in a few other cases. You know, this is related to the genetic genealogy. And what essentially it means is that you may not have DNA on the exact offender, but you're able to trace DNA to someone in their family. So this was used in the Golden State Killer mm -hmm. case, and it's been used in several others. And it's pretty controversial for a lot of reasons, but what it means is you start with a pool of someone's family and then you have to narrow it down. So how do you narrow it down? Well, then you have to go to each one of the, you know, if it's a male family member, you have to pretty much eliminate all of them until you get to your offender. And lucky for the investigation, the DNA matched a Southern California man who they quickly were able to find out that he shared an America Online account with her, with Sherry in the past. And was briefly associated with an address owned by Sherry's parents, according to court documents. So in other words, they were able to quickly establish that this man had ties to Sherry. So what do they do? Well, FBI agents went to the home of this man on June 9th, 
2020 and collected items from his trash, which included a bottle that was analyzed and found to have DNA that matched the DNA that was collected from Sherry's clothing. So now they really have all they need. So they go to talk to this man who ends up being one of Sherry Papini's ex-boyfriends. I know. So his name is not revealed in court documents, so I'm going to refer to him as the ex-boyfriend. Right. So he talks to authorities, as I think he as he probably realized at this point there was no reason not to. They had really what they needed. This man told the FBI that he had known Sherry since they were 13 or 14 years old and they had once been engaged. And he was able to tell them Sherry had not, in fact, been abducted by two Hispanic women. She was in Costa Mesa with this man who was her ex-boyfriend. He also told investigators how this all went down. Mm -hmm. So the two hadn't talked for several years. He said that sometime in 2015, he was cleaning out his house and he came across a box of items of Sherry's and old pictures of them together um, from, you know, back from when they were dating. So he says he sent the items to Sherry's parents and she had later called him, I guess, as a result of this. And he at this point, he says she told him that she had been saving money because she had planned to run away with him. Uh, that seems a little out of the blue, but OK. And that's funny because in the complaint, the criminal complaint, it's quoted as him saying this was out of the blue. Mm. And, you know, he says I hadn't spoken in a while. She had gotten married, had kids and, you know, moved on. Right. He went on to tell investigators that Sherry told him that her husband was beating and raping her and that she needed to get out of there. She also told her ex-boyfriend that she had filed many police reports, but the police were not doing anything to stop her husband's abuse. That's not true, right? Well, no, because court documents noted that officials have no reports of Papini making allegations against her husband. Okay. And it comes to light that Sherry Papini had made several other unfounded abuse claims against several other people in her past. Right. So the ex-boyfriend told investigators that Sherry really just asked him for help, said she needed to get away, and he said, sure, he would go there and pick her up. So he ends up renting a car through um, a friend of a friend and drove to Redding, picked up Sherry, and the two of them drove back to his home in Southern California. Now, the man says he didn't know what the final plan was or if they were going to get back together or what was going on, but he says it was okay. He would leave her at his home, go to work, come back. She slept in his room, and he slept on the couch. He says the, there was no sexual um, relations whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they would hang out together, but she really just kept to herself. She drew the shades and would hang out in a dark room with no TV for most of the time. What happened with the, the weight loss either? Yeah. He said that she was basically starving herself, no? Yeah, he said she would eat, but very little and not often. Okay. So, yeah, she was definitely losing weight. And she was also causing harm to herself. Mm -hmm. At times, she asked this man to help brand her. Remember, they found that branding on her. What was the branding of? Do we know? The branding was so he had gone to a Hobby Lobby. You know what a Hob mm -hmm. Hobby Lobby store is? Yeah, yeah. He went there to get some branding tool. He ended up taking investigators with him. And they said that the marks of the tool he showed them were consistent with the marks on Cherry. But they still haven't revealed if it said anything or meant anything. Mm, got it. Okay. But it was just a wood burning tool. And, you know, he says he never physically hurt her other than one time he hit a hockey puck at her because she had asked him to. Okay. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Sorry, yeah. Amy, she also broke her own nose, correct? Oh, she did. She broke her own nose and she caused burns to herself. 
At times, the man she was staying with um, would go to the store and get creams for her to treat some of the injuries that she was giving to herself. He says, you know, he didn't really know what was going on. He also didn't know that this was such a big story and that Sherry was reported as kidnapping. And he says when he did, you know, he kind of got a little worried. Mm -hmm. But he says, you know, he just thought he was helping a friend and he decided not to make any calls or really turn her in because he thought if the truth was discovered, you know, the police would just come to him. And he said he was always willing to cooperate. So he was that's just that. I wonder how concerned he was growing as she's self-harming. And I mean, this is we're talking about serious self-harm here. It sounds like it. Mm. So just before Thanksgiving in 2016, Sherry told this man that she missed her children and that she was ready to go back home. So once again, he rented a car through a friend of a friend. He drove seven hours north and dropped her off on a country road off the freeway. And then Sherry Papini was found. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, let's let's also point out, and I'm sure a lot of it was substantiated, but this is all his account as well. So I just want to, I just want to yes. make sure we all understand that. I mean, I don't yes. think or suspect he's lying, but well, we don't know, you know, this is all, yes. this is all alleged at this point. Well, I don't know if you had a chance to read the criminal complaint, but this story is corroborated with car rental receipts, cell phone records, yeah. eyewitnesses. Right. I did read that part. So, I just meant I the mean, actual, it, what yes. I meant was the nuances, the inside the of house course, stuff. Of course. Something else that I find so interesting is that we didn't hear about this, right? Remember I mentioned that one article in the New York Post mm-hmm. alluded to this man came forward, but nothing happened. This was pretty tight-lipped for a while. Oh, yeah. They kept us under wraps, this investigation. They had a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. What we now know is that they sat down with Sherry in August of 2020. Right. And she doubled down on her story, making additional false statements during an interview with a federal agent and with county sheriffs and officers. Mm -hmm. Even though she was given the evidence, and they also found her DNA at this man's house, and a lot of the items in this man's home matched items that she described as being part of, you know, a kidnapping scenario. Yes, exactly. So the way she would describe where she was supposedly held captive, everything matched, you know, all of these descriptions matched. Mm -hmm. And they presented all of this. They presented the DNA evidence and Sherry still, she would not admit to it. So a lot of corroborating evidence. Okay. We have a lot going on here. I think they were just probably trying to make this easier on everyone to give her a chance. But again, she was not going to, you know, give in. She just kept denying it. Okay. Very recently in 2022, the U.S. attorney came forward and saying, ultimately, the investigation revealed that there was no kidnapping Mm -hmm. and that the time and resources that were used to look for Sherry and then subsequently her kidnappers could have been used to investigate actual crimes, protect the community and provide resources to victims. So no one's happy with Sherry right now. Amy, sorry, didn't she also take money from the Victims' Compensation Fund and from a GoFundMe? So she was paid more than $30,000 in victim assistance by the California Victims' Compensation Board. And this was in 35 different payments from 2017 to 2021. Now, this included visits to her therapist. It included blinds that she purchased for her home. It also included that initial ambulance ride she took when she was found. 
So this is not good. And the criminal complaint lists every single charge, the date and the charge and the amount. I saw that she also took almost $50,000 from a GoFundMe that she, I guess, and her husband said they spent on, you know, general expenses and bills. I'm not really sure. So the GoFundMe was to raise money for search efforts for Sherry. And it was her husband, Keith, who initiated this. And they raised about $50,000. And it came to light that this money was used to pay off credit card bills mm-hmm. in both Sherry's and Keith's name. And the remainder of the money was used for personal expenses. So Sherry Papini faces a maximum sentence of five years in prison and a fine of up to 250000 if convicted of making false statements to a federal officer. And then in addition to that, up to 20 years and $250,000 for mail fraud. Any idea what the mail fraud's all about? It's about taking money. It's about taking money through, you know, through the GoFundMe, the victim compensation, unlawfully or, you know, fraudulently taking this money. Yeah, so this money was actually sent to her in the form of checks through the mail. So that's why they were able to... Mm -hmm. I think they're going to add a lot more charges. This is just what they have right now. There were absolutely no charges against anyone else announced at this point. I'm assuming the ex-boyfriend got a deal because he was so cooperative with the police. Yeah, he made the case and the husband didn't know. So they're not going to charge him with anything. <sighs> yeah, I guess. Um, you don't seem content with... I mean, it doesn't... I don't think he knew. So uh, it doesn't... Yeah, I think he's probably a victim here too. I feel very bad for the family. So Sherry's family released a statement through a PR firm. They say that they are appalled by the way in which she was ambushed by law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. similar to how Melanie McGuire was arrested, it was in front of her children. And the family says that was unnecessary and overly dramatic because Sherry would have complied and like she had done so many times before and cooperated. I agree with that point 100%. You know, that's very damaging to the children. There was no reason for that. And yeah, the family says they're confused by several aspects of the charges and hope to get clarification in the coming days. It's interesting. I, I read that statement, though. They're not saying that she didn't do something. They're not saying they're not saying this is absolutely false. They're saying they're confused about some of it. So, you know, it's almost like an admission that there's wrongdoing, but perhaps yeah. they don't know the extent to which or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I thought it was very interesting that they denied Sherry bail, citing a flight risk. Well, because she's disappeared herself once before, so. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. But I read, I can't remember. I don't think it was in the complaint, but it was in one of the articles that I'm going to source. I read that they they reported holding her for danger and flight risk. I don't know that I see her as a danger to the community directly, but maybe they're thinking indirectly she is. I don't think she poses a danger to the community. Maybe they think she poses a danger to herself. That could be. Which is not really the intent of bail, but I'm just saying, I I don't think she's like, you know, a danger to other people at this point. I agree. So Sherry's being held in a jail until her detention hearing. She'll be back in front of a judge on March 8th for a detention hearing. Her attorney tried very hard to get her bail saying that, you know, she has been in jail now for a few days and she isn't eating. And her defense attorney apparently went back before a judge to ask for her release. But he, you know, it was denied. Apparently she only ate an apple since she's been in jail. When you say a detention hearing, is this a second bail hearing? You know, I wish I knew because it says a detention hearing on the 3-8 and then the next court date after that is March 18th. So... It must be another bail hearing. I don't know. Yeah, detention hearing to me says it's like a, you know, second bail hearing. So maybe the attorney requested a second bail hearing? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they're going to try vigorously to get her, you know, bail. So the prosecution says that a grand jury indictment will likely be handed down later this month. But for now, her next court date 
is scheduled for March 18th, 2022. Wow. So what do we think, Megan? First of all, this was, I mean, this blew my mind a bit. Um, I have some opinions that I don't know if they'll be popular or not, but I'm just going to say, you know, we originally covered this case and I think we both saw red flags and there were definite signs like it wasn't adding up, but we wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt because we wanted to believe a victim if she was a victim. Mm -hmm. And there were such egregious acts here that it was hard to believe that she would have done it to herself, right? Like the breaking of the nose. And, you know, I just mm-hmm. thought with the also the extreme weight loss, you know, she had signs of victimization for sure. Now, I guess what my point is, I'm not entirely saying, Amy, that she's not a victim, but I don't believe she's a victim at the hands of someone else. What I see is, you know, this wasn't a situation like Quinn Gray. Remember the Quinn Gray case? Quinn Gray was, you know, she she gone girled herself and she was with her boyfriend. They were having like a wild kind of rendezvous. She tried to extort her husband for $50,000 so that they could continue this like love affair. And, or, you know, like it was a fun situation. It's not exactly that. Yes, I think she is absolutely culpable. She did something very, very wrong here. I mean, there's there's no denying that. But I'm also seeing signs of a very sick girl here Mm -hmm. or a very sick woman. I mean, she didn't go on this fun trip, right? Quote, fun trip. She was in a room in the dark, harming herself, starving herself. Mm -hmm. I think she's possibly a victim of some severe mental illness. Um, So what I'm saying is there's two. So I don't think this is as straightforward as, you know, I've seen like the articles and the people who are condemning her outright. You know, she's this awful human being. And, you know, again, I think what she did was wrong, but I'm seeing a lot of flags for some very, very possibly serious mental illness. Yeah, it's very complicated because when I initially read the article, I didn't have that gut reaction that this woman's a monster. I felt bad for her because if somebody is able to leave their two young children, leave their family and then harm themselves Mm -hmm. and then be able to lie about it. But then once I realized that she implicated these two Hispanic women and there was almost like a manhunt for these two women and how many, I know. if you think of how many lives were disturbed by this, every Hispanic woman in the area who drove a similar car, you know, people were, there were search warrants, there were tons of interrogations, you know, this really stoked racial division and fear in the area. Oh no, for sure. And her lies caused mass victimization to all of these females who were then suspected and, like you said, interrogated. And for that part, I mean, she's culpable. She's mm-hmm. she's guilty, you know. And I think what really bothers me, too, is I think the behavior, like I said, is indicative of something more going on. But the fact that she doubled down on the lies and just kept the lies going You know, she could have at some point stopped and said, no, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to drag down other people. I'm not going to waste resources. That's the part that makes her even more culpable to me is that she she wouldn't stop. She didn't ever confess. You know, I almost wonder if it was there's some sort of dissociative state going on. Oh, because it wasn't rational at all to not work with the FBI at that point because she knew that if she cooperated, things were going to be much better. She probably could have even had them keep it quiet, not go to the media the way it has. She really, I don't think she was thinking clearly or she was just in such a state of denial. She has a history of, you know, false allegations, um, substance abuse. You know, she's unstable in a lot of ways. I've read um, a lot of people are suggesting that she suffers from borderline personality disorder, which I think is a definite possibility. It's interesting. I thought that too, but I also thought, and it's not quite the same, but 
almost strikes me as someone who has like the factitious disorder, otherwise known as Munchausen. And it's not quite the same. You know, usually people with factitious disorder will make themselves sick for attention, but she seems to self-harm and make allegations. And, you know, these these other, you know, behaviors for attention to herself, it reminds me somewhat of someone who's suffering from factitious disorder. She has a past history of some of the these allegations of abuse, um, the police were called on her, if I'm not mistaken, by family members because she broke into someone's house. Yeah, I don't think she it has was ever. Some, she has some interface, I guess, with law enforcement. She has some, uh, I would say, unstable behaviors. And if you want to hear, yeah. you know, some of those behaviors, we would encourage you to go back to episode 37 because I, I can't recall the specifics offhand. But I think that there's definitely a history here of unstable behaviors. And I think this is a lot more complicated than just saying this is one, you know, evil woman. I agree. The only thing I struggle with, you brought up a good point about, you know, maybe it's being reminiscent of Munchausen. She doesn't seem like she wanted attention for it. And I'm not saying, Amy, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not diagnosing her with Munchausen. I'm just saying I see elements of it, I guess. And it's layered. This is complicated. She doesn't seem to want attention, though. And that kind of at odds with what you're saying, because once she came home, she never did an interview. She would never be public. Only Keith would talk to the media. And she pretty much went into hiding. So how do you explain that? Well, she didn't want attention from the public. But what I've heard in her past, too, is making these allegations. She might want attention from close family members. True. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So she didn't want to be in the public spotlight, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't want attention in some form from the people surrounding her. That's a good point. And again, I'm not I, I'm not saying that's it. I just it it struck me a little bit like yeah. that might be one of the possibilities here it could be. or part of it. And, you know, it could also be a little bit of a lot of things, borderline, narcissistic, personality disorder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a lot of options here, I have to say. You know what what does strike me as one of the uh, another sad outcome? One of the things that, you know, we had said on top of the victimization of so many other people, I see this as a setback for real victims. You know, remember when the when we covered Denise Huskins yeah. and nobody believed her. And then when it was established that Denise was a real victim, it was I mean, it wasn't great that she was victimized. But the fact that it came to light now, it was good for victims in that they had credibility yes. because, you yes. know, they wouldn't be doubted by mm -hmm. law enforcement. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think this is the reverse situation where now people might be more skeptical again of victims with these claims. Yes, I think that's why we that's why when we talk about what kind of punishment does she deserve, it's really hard to quantify the harm here because there's harm very hard uh, you mentioned there's harm to you know victims moving forward also i read some cases of missing people that were going on around the same time as sherry that did not get as much attention so resources were taken away from other cases during the last five years that could have been used to actually look for missing people or investigate real crimes. Yeah, this is mass harm. You know, one of the things I'd like to see, and I'm sure I would imagine that's going to come, I'd like to know what um, the psychological evaluation is. Because right now, it's way too early for me to say what the appropriate punishment yeah. slash treatment should be. Mm -hmm. But I think we need the results. And I, that's one of the things I'd like to keep you know an eye on. Well, we're going to be keeping a very close eye on this. I know I am. And I think this will be one of those cases that we're probably going to have a couple of updates because as this moves forward, if it goes to trial, if she takes a plea, who knows what's going to happen? I'm very, very curious. And Amy, thanks so much for bringing us this update today. All right. Thank you all so much. And we'll keep an eye on this case and catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. 
Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show while gaining access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include New York Post, ABC News, NBC News, The Sacramento Bee, People.com, and the United States versus Sherry Papini criminal complaint. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.